John chapter number 11, for the sake of time, I want to just skip read some of these verses, but I got something burning on my heart tonight. John chapter number 11, begin reading in verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. And then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Notice her faith in verse 22. But I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. He had a special blessing for Martha, and he met her need. But now there's somebody else that needs a blessing from the Lord, her sister by the name of Mary. Look how Jesus deals with her tonight in verse number 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying unto him, Lord, you think they talked this among themselves? Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Well, I'm glad the Lord met the need of this little lady by the name of Mary. Well, there's somebody else in this little village. Bethany has a need, and it's their brother by the name of Lazarus. Look how the Lord deals with him tonight in verse 43. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Don't you like verse number 44? And he that, I like it, was. And he that was dead came forth bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. I'm glad he met the need of Lazarus in the little village of Bethany. But wait a minute, there's another crowd in this little town that needs a miracle, that needs something from God, and he's going to meet their need as well. And I'm glad when Jesus goes to meeting the need, no one is left out. I'm glad when he died at Calvary, no one is left out. And I'm glad when he offers salvation to the whole world, no one is left out. Look at verse number 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did. And say this last phrase out loud with me. Believed on him. He met their need as well. Because he is and always will be the resurrection and the life. The Lord be on our helper for a while tonight. I want to preach on the three resurrections of John 11. I'm going somewhere. You say there's only one. No, there are three resurrections in John 11. 
Don't you love the gospel of John and the way it presents the miracle working power of the Son of God? By the time you get to the 15 miracles that are revealed in this one gospel, you come to this conclusion. There's nothing that God cannot do. There are no boundaries and borders or limits to the wonderful power of God. Remember in chapter two, the first miracle that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee when he turned the water into wine. That's a little phrase the Holy Spirit injects there and it says, and this is the beginning of miracles. It's as though the Holy Spirit is saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because every miracle builds upon the other. And it gets deeper, it gets higher, and it gets wider. And God says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Just when they thought he reached the apex of his power, and just when they thought he had maxed out all of his sovereign ability, he did it again. Because when it comes to the Lord and the power of God, you ain't seen nothing yet. Why, who but Jesus could speak healing in one city and it take place in another city the same time that he said it in the other city? Why, who but Jesus can take five loaves of bread and two small fishes and feed 5,000 men plus women and children and have 12 doggy bags left over? had more left over than they had in the beginning. You ain't seen nothing yet. And if that's not enough, he walks on water. If that's not enough, he says to the wind and the water and the waves, be still. You ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, who can say to a woman caught in the very act of adultery, bound by the fetters of her sin. Hey, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Why, you ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, who can go up to a blind man and touch him and he starts seeing? There are no boundaries and borders or limits to the amazing power of the miracle-working Son of God. But even surely he's got his boundaries, he's got his limits. Surely he's gonna come up against something where he will max out his divine ability. Well, when you come to chapter number 11, they think they've got him. They think when you come to chapter 11, surely this miracle-working man has reached the limit. Because it's one thing for a man to turn water into wine. I mean, it's one thing to speak healing in one city and it takes place in another city. I mean, it's one thing to touch blind people and it's another thing to walk on the water and feed multitudes. But now, look where we've got him. Here's a man in our text that is not blind. He is not sick. He is not in a distant land. He's dead. And he's not just dead, but he's really dead. 
He's not just really dead, he's graveyard dead. He's externally embalmed, wound up like a mummy dead. And according to his sister, and oh, this sounds just like a nosy, know-it-all, braggadocious, meaner than a strapped snake sister, to say about her brother, he's a dead, he's stinking dead. He stinks by now. Surely there is nothing he can do to a man that's really dead, sure enough dead, four days dead, graveyard dead, and stinking dead. Well, as Gomer would say, shazam. What does he do? He raises him from the dead because there are no boundaries and borders or limits to the amazing power of God. And by the way, whatever your need is tonight, he is able to do exceeding abundant above all that we ask or think. When it comes to the Savior, every need supplied, every battled one, Every valley exalted, every mountain lowered, every sky. I'm glad tonight that there is nothing that God cannot do. And he approves that tonight to you and I, to the three resurrections in John 11. Let's look at them quickly. Number one, resurrection number one. The most obvious of the text, the most obvious resurrection written in chapter number 11. I call it the resurrection of life for the dead. Here's a man by the name of Lazarus and he gets sick and he dies and they embalm him externally and wind him up like a mummy and put him in the tomb and he's four days dead and corruption has begun to settle in. But I'm glad on the outside of the city limits of the little village of Bethany stands one who always has been and always will be the resurrection and the life. And he goes to that grave and with the voice of sovereign authority calls him by name. Lazarus, come forward. By the way, you'll never believe what the Hebrew word Lazarus means. It means the Lord is my helper. In the Gospels, there are two men by the name of Lazarus. Let me say it like this without getting tongue-tied. Two Lazaruses in the New Testament. And isn't it amazing that both of these Lazarus are associated with death. One dies and is carried to the bosom of Abraham by the angels. The other one in our text is dead, four days dead and in the grave. But when the Lord is your helper... I'm glad there's life on the other side of the cemetery. And he stands at the mouth of that grave and calls him by name and said, Lazarus, come forth. I asked my dad one time, I said, Dad, why did he call him by name? He said, son, if Jesus would have just said, come forth, every dead person in the universe would have come out of their grave. And he said, one day, that is going to happen. 
He said, think about it like this. He shouted at the grave of Lazarus and one man came out. He shouted at Calvary and many of them came out. But the next time he shouts, not one, not a few, not many, but every child of God that pillared their dying head on the finished work of Calvary is gonna come forth out of that grave. And he that was dead came forth and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. You know what that is? That is a picture. That is a foreshadow. That is a forerunner of a greater resurrection that is to follow. You say, Reach, what are you talking about? The one that Paul said, but I will not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's why Paul said, O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? He's looking forward to that day when corruption shall put on incorruption and mortality shall put on immortality. I'm glad tonight if you know Jesus, washed in the blood, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The grave is not the end. The cemetery is not the end. We have hope on the other side. The last time I saw my father, he was laying in a casket, but I will see him again. When the trumpet sounds and the Savior comes, there'll be a great getting up morning. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. It is our hope. It is our anchor. We sorrow not. Those which have no hope, aren't you glad there's coming a day when the saints of God are gonna get out of those graves and be raised from death unto life? What a day that is gonna be. If you ever get a chance to go to Greenville, South Carolina, on Wade Hampton Boulevard, catacorned across from Bob Jones University, is one of the largest cemeteries in Greenville County. And you say, what is so significant about that cemetery? Well, in that one cemetery alone, you'll find the remains of some powerful preachers. Go in that main gate about 50 yards over to the left under a little sycamore tree and you'll find the remains of J. Harold Smith. Go down about another 40 yards around a curve and right on the side of the road, you'll find the remains of Bennett Harold Sackler, the founder of Tabernacle Baptist Church and the Bright Spot Hour. You leave that grave in the middle of the cemetery, that's a large mausoleum. Go in that front door, three rows down, three graves high on the right, and you'll find the remains of Oliver B. Green. And then you go to the back side of the cemetery in the new part, laying there in a double wide grave. You'll find the remains of a fella 
named William Churchful Kelly. He is better known as Billy Kelly. You say, Brother Joe, why is he in a double wide grave? Because he would not fit in a single wide grave. I asked him one time, you say, why wouldn't he fit in a single wide? When you go to your grave, if you weigh over 400 pounds, you ain't gonna fit in a single wide grave. I asked him one time, church fool. I'd never met anybody named church fool. I said, why did they name you church fool? He said, cause when I was born and my mama took me to church, I was so fat when I got there, that was a church fool. You say, why are you telling that? Can you imagine standing on that piece of of real estate come resurrection morning when the trump of God sounds and the graves burst open and the dead in Christ shall rise first? I got a wild imagination. Can I use it? Can you imagine J. Harold Smith coming out of that grave saying, thank you, Lord. I didn't step over God's three deadlines. Here comes old Harold Sattler. Hey, Mephibosheth, bring that chariot over here. Let's ride to see the king for my flesh has rested in hope. And then her, here comes Oliver Green kicking the lid off that balls of limbs and I told you it was by the grace of God. And about that time, here comes Billy Kelly singing, I'll meet you in the morning and I'll not be a stranger. And over here is Pappy Burns, the daddy of the Burns trio. He was the old man at the camp meeting years ago that when he got happy, he'd stand up and put a chair on his head and just walk around. Man, one year he got full of God and he climbed one of them poles and was shouting in the rafters. Man, about that time the Lord left him and we had to get a ladder to help get him down from up there. I mean, can, can, can you imagine that crowd? What are you saying, preacher? Some of us went to the cemetery with our father and with our mother and with our children and with our friends and with our family and we said goodbye on this side, but we did not bury them. We planted them. You say, what's the difference between burying and planting? Well, if you bury something, you don't mean to dig it up, but when you plant, you're expecting a harvest, something to come out of that dark hole in the ground. I'm glad some golden daybreak, Jesus is coming and the dead in Christ shall rise first and ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm gonna get up out of that ground. I've come to tell you, hell is not my home and the great tribulation is not my destination but I got a hope beyond the grave that the dead in Christ shall live again. He is the resurrection and the life. My neighbor owns the local funeral home. He also comes to our church. He is a good tither and I like him. I don't like the way he shakes my hand. He'll shake your hand and run them two fingers to feel your pulse at the same time. I was down there the other day. He said, Pastor, come back to the selection room and pick you one out. Make it easy on your family. I said, bless God, if my son and daughter are so lazy, they can't pick out my casket. Shame on them. I, I don't know what I, I don't want to see it before I get to it. 
He took me back over there. He said, Pastor, here's one that's guaranteed not to leak for over a hundred years. He said, when I put that crank in there and I sell her down, she ain't gonna leak. Guaranteed for a hundred years. I said, Horace, who's gonna know the difference? He said, I'm telling you, Pastor, when I seal that thing, nothing can get in there. I said, Horace Ford, I love you like a daddy. You're a good neighbor. You're a good church member. You're one of my best friends on planet Earth. You've employed half of our church. And, and in fact, one day somebody died and they called him instead of me. But I'm here to tell you, I said, Horace Ford, I love you with all my heart. But I don't care how tight you put her down, what kind of seal you put on it, how much you crack her down. There is one thing that's going to get in. The voice of my permeating Savior that'll come in power and glory. That voice of resurrection is going to come out of that ground. And let me tap this while I'm on the subject. If you're here tonight and you are a hyper-Calvinist, you may hyperventilate before this point is over. If he is so powerful, he can speak. And a dead man hear his voice. There's no sinner to dead, too depraved, too lost that can't hear the voice of power and resurrection. I wonder how many remembers the day he came to your spiritual graveyard and called you by name. Aren't you glad there is the resurrection of life for the dead? I'm glad, thank God, he makes them live again. Resurrection number one. Now, resurrection number two. There's not only the resurrection of life of the dead, but I see another resurrection in this text. Can I remind you in this little village of Bethany, there's more than a dead body wrapped up in a mummy cloth, sealed in a grave. You say, what else is dead in this text? Well, there's these two sisters by the name of Martha and Mary. And can I tell you tonight, their trust their hope, their confidence had withered and died. If you don't believe it tonight, it's revealed in the text. These two sisters were so distraught. These two sisters were so discouraged. There was such a drought and a death in their life that Brother Don, they had the audacity to go to Jesus and look in his face and an accusatory tone say, hey, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. I want to tell you, I don't know if that's boldness or stupidity, but they were so distraught. They were so hurt. They looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and they blamed him for not being where he was supposed to be and not doing what he should have done. Both of them said it to his face. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know who Mary and Martha are? Let me tell you who they're not. They're not enemies to Jesus. They're not strangers to Jesus. They're not Christ rejectors. They're not God deniers. They're not unbelievers. They are servants of the Lord. They love Jesus. They've worshiped Jesus. They've been good to Jesus. Why? They have welcomed him out of the hustle and bustle of life into their home. He has slept in their bed. He has ate at their table. They have worshiped at his feet. They love him. 
and he has told them that he loves them. But they had a problem. Their brother was sick and he's about to die and they did the only thing they knew to do. They sent for him. They sent for Jesus, the one they've been serving, the one they've been worshiping, the one they've been loving. They sent for Jesus and tell him, tell him, tell him, the brother that he loves, he's sick and he's gonna die and we need him now. And you know the story, Jesus did not go that day. Jesus did not go the next day and he did not go the third day. And man, I can only imagine if the devil back then was like he is tonight, what he said, those two little sisters, they had to have some kind of feeling because they had the audacity to say to Jesus to his face, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. I imagine the devil said something like this to Martha and to Mary. See, I tried to tell you, it's all in vain. All them meals you cooked for Jesus, all them good things you did for Jesus, it was all in vain. I tried to tell you, he really didn't care why if Jesus loved you, Lazarus wouldn't have got sick. If Jesus loved you, surely he wouldn't have died. And not only that, if he loved you, he'd have come when you called for him. And man, they're struggling with that. They're trying to battle that in their heart and in their mind. Why did he let it happen? Why didn't he come? It's serving God really in vain. I want to tell you the devil tonight, it's trying to tell the church that it doesn't pay to serve the Lord. It doesn't pay to pray. It doesn't pay to be faithful. It doesn't pay to give you tithes. It doesn't pay to worship God. But I want to say shazam. The devil is a liar and the father of all liars. I want to tell you when Jesus marched into that little village of Bethany, thank God when he called Lazarus by name. Can I tell you tonight, more than a dead body got out of that grave. Yes, more than a dead body got out of that grave. You say, what else got up? Hope got up. Courage got up. Strength got up. It had died in them. It had withered in them. Their courage and their hope and their trust seems to be dead, but I'm glad when they give up on themselves, the Lord didn't give up on them, and I've come to tell somebody tonight in this room, the devil is a liar and the father of all liars. He's told you that it doesn't pay to serve God, and it doesn't pay to do right, and if you do right, you're going to be a loser. I want to tell you who the loser is, the sorry, low-down, stinking devil, because he don't even have keys to his own house. It does pay to serve God. It does pay to do right. Serving God is not in vain. And if your strength has died and your hope has died and your courage has died and your zeal for the Lord has died and you don't feel like praying and you don't feel like reading and you don't feel like going to church, he sees your pain. He's heard your cry. Helps on the way. And your courage and your hope and your faith is about to live again. You say, I'm here tonight and my hope and my faith and my courage and my trust has never gotten weak and died. Well, God bless you. Pray for the rest of us. Can I say when it comes to doubt and discouragement, there are two kinds of people 
when it comes to doubt and discouragement. Those who have doubted and been discouraged and those who have doubted and been discouraged and lied about not being in doubt and discouraged. Oh, they were, they were wondering. And they had the audacity to say to Jesus, think about what they accused. If you, they didn't blame it on the preacher. They didn't blame it on them believing Jews. They're blaming it on Jesus. If you, I mean, that scares me to even repeat what they said. But they are so dead inside. They are so discouraged and distraught and weak and waning. They have the audacity to say to Jesus to his face, it's your fault. It's your fault. If you would have been here, Jesus, we're talking to you. If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Man, they're wondering, does it really pay? Are you really who you say you are? Now, I want to tell you, that old flesh is strong and that old carnal mind is strong. And by the way, as Becky Luther used to sing, Arthur Blackburn's daughter from China Grove, North Carolina, she used to sing. If you can sing when it seems there's nothing to sing about, then I'll know that you know the Savior. And if you can pray when everyone else says there's no need of praying, then I'll know that you'll know the Savior. Can I remind you tonight, anybody can sit on the front row and holler hallelujah when the bills is paid and the kids are well and the car was starred and everything's hunkadory. But brother, when the wind blows and the lightning flashes and the thunder rolls and your world falls apart and you wonder, does God really care? Why did God let this happen? Oh God, why did you let it happen? I want to say wait upon the Lord. He's headed to your village. He's headed to your Bethany and more than a dead body is going to walk out of that grave. Hope's going to live again. Trust is going to live again because he's the God that can raise something in your heart that's died and make it live again. And I love the way he deals with both Martha and Mary. How many are here tonight and you have a, you're a parent but you're a parent of more than one child. I believe you'll have to agree, Brother Joe, they're different. So different, they don't even act like they kin to one another. To me, here is a mystery. How two knothead kids can live in the same house have the same mama, have the same daddy, eat the same food, go to the same church, and be worlds apart. Son, you can have one as smart as a tack. They don't ever have to study. They, don't, they are inherently intelligent. Well, you can have one mm, dumber than a box of rocks. Quit looking around, quit looking around. Son, you can have one and all you gotta do is clear your throat. <clears throat> and the fear of God comes upon them. I mean, you can just go. And brother, you can have another one. I feel conviction on this side of the church. And you can have another one. You can frail, you can wail, punish, whatever. And they gonna blow up and say, why? 
Boy, I used to love that when them two knotheads would say that to me. Because I want to tell you, I want to tell you what I miss about my kids, Brother Don. As long as they were home, there were two people that had to do what I say. <laughs> Let me just tell you, old men, that married them old fashioned, submissive women that knows how to cook biscuits and they do everything you say. Pray for my generation. Some young preacher said, Dr. Arthur, I'm looking for a wife that'll be in subjection and she cooks biscuits and she'll do what I tell her. I said, son, women like that are like parking spaces. They're taken or handicapped. Now I feel conviction on this side. <laughs> Woo! My kids laugh at me now. And when I watch them try to raise their young ones, I'm laughing now. <laughs> Until it gets to this right here. And I'm gonna tell you, your kids don't love you. They want that. And they, you think babies will work. Wait till you get grandkids. It's all about the money. And they'll take you down to Cracker Barrel and they'll show you all that stuff. And then boy, if they go, granddaddy, I got one five years old. Granddaddy, I love your preaching. She don't even know God. She don't love my preaching. She loves that money. Granddaddy, what about a surprise? Go see your grandmother. By the way, y'all pray for Julie. She just had plastic surgery. I, I cut her credit cards up. But anyway, <laughs> granddad breaking me up. It's amazing how two children can be different. Well, you got Martha and you got Mary. They're sisters. They live in the same home. They eat the same food. They got the same brother. But they're worlds apart. Martha's strong. Martha's bold. Martha's brave. Even though she wavered, even though she shook, even though she had that little brief moment of doubt, all she needed was for Jesus to show up and about 30 seconds, that was enough. She jumped up and said, I know that even now, I know that even now, it's not too late. I know that even now, whatever you ask to God, he'll give it to you. That's all she needed. One little brief visit and wham, she was better. Mary's different. She's a hard case. She's an introvert. She bottles it in. She holds it in. Martha's not like that. Martha wires it on her face and it spews out of her mouth. When Martha's unhappy, you know it. Every church needs a couple of Marthas. Why? Because they get it done. Why every other lady's praying about it, they get it done. Now, they may make the whole church mad while they do it, but they're going to get it done. Martha just spews it all out. But Mary, when she's hurt, she don't want a fellowship. She don't want that community of faith. She wants to crawl off in a hole somewhere and bottle it all in and bottle it all in and just get off by herself and not eat, not drink, not fellowship. And she don't want that peer pressure. She needs it. She... 
doesn't want them prayer partners. She needs it. She don't want them praise promoters. I'll preach that somewhere and tell them God give it to me. And uh, she needs it, but she don't want it, Don. She's over there holding it all in. Oh, she don't want to be around nobody. By the way, everybody handles grief differently. That's why you need to quit going up to people going, I know how you feel. No, no you do not. But I've gone through that same thing. You still don't know how they feel because everybody handles grief and doubt and pain and trouble differently. And oh, Martha, she's an introvert. Mary is an introvert. She's been in a secret place. But you know what I love about Jesus? He knows what to do for the Martha and he knows what to do for the Mary. And he sends her a personal invitation. In fact, he calls her by name. I'm about to jump over three rows right here. If I wasn't so fat, I would. He calls her by name. Man, I mean to tell you, I'm glad there's one who cares for you and he cares for me. And Martha goes in there and says, sweetie, the master's come and he called it for thee. He called it for thee. He called your name, honey. He does care. He does love you. The devil's lied to you. He is here. He is here. He is here, hallelujah. He is here, amen. He's not late. He's not a dollar short. He's not lagged behind. He's an on-time God. The master's come, and he called it for thee. And as soon as she heard that he loved her, and he cared for her, and he gave her a personal invitation, she ran out of that house and came to where he was. And when she knelt at his feet, she let it all go. That four days of holding it in at the feet of Jesus. Here she goes, like a river, pouring it all out, or weeping, just letting it all go. All that she's held in for four days. Whoop! I ain't supposed to do that. She's pouring it out. Lev, while she's bowed at the feet of Jesus, just pouring it out and a weeping and a crying. About that time, she feels something hit the side of her face and it starts rolling down her cheeks and she looks down and it's puddling up on her hands and she looks up and to her amazement, not only is she a weeping, but now Jesus is a going to weeping. And you know what happens in this text? Her tears got to mingling with his tears. And his tears got to mingling with her tears. And can I just tell you tonight, when your tears touch the master's tears, somebody's Lazarus is about to get up and start walking around. Hey, she realized he does care. He does care. He does love me. And ladies and gentlemen, Lazarus walked out of that grave more than a dead body, walked out of the cemetery. Hope lived again. Confidence lived again. Trust lived again. He is the resurrection and the life. And maybe something in you has died tonight. The love for your mate. Your desire to read the Bible. Your desire to be a soul winner and do right and go to church. The wind has blown. The storm has come. 
and you've had a massive setback and the devil's lied to you for years. I'm tell you, he can make it live again. He can make it live again. He is the resurrection and the life. I see the resurrection of life for the dead. I see the resurrection of hope and trust for the distress. But in closing tonight, number three, I see a third resurrection. In fact, in John 11, I see the greatest resurrection of them all. In fact, in John 11, I see the most important resurrection of them all. You say, Brother Joe, what could be more important or what could be greater than a dead man coming back to life? Well, Shazam. You say, Brother Joe, what could be greater than God reconfirming in the heart of a discouraged saint that he does care and he does love them and he's everything that he claimed to be and more? I'm telling you, you ain't seen nothing yet. The greatest resurrection is not when Lazarus walked out of that grave. The greatest resurrection is not when hope and courage and trust lived again in Martha and Mary. No. The third resurrection is the greatest. Because verse 44 and verse 45 said, them unbelieving Jews lost without God unconverted, headed to a devil's hell when they saw the things that Jesus did. The King James Bible said, and many that saw what Jesus did believed on him. You say, what kind of resurrection is that? Well, as one of my heroes, Brother Sammy Allen would put it, it's it like this. Hey, friend, being born again, it means born from above. It's called regeneration. That's when a sovereign God imparts eternal life to an old dead sinner. I wonder how he remembers that night when you was dead in your sin, lost without God, headed to a devil's hell. The Holy Ghost drew you to bloody Calvary, and you believed the gospel, and that John 5, 25 stepped in. He that heareth my word and believeth on him me shall not come into condemnation, but it's passed from death unto life. I want to tell you more than a dead body walked out of that tomb, more than trust and hope came out of their heart. Them unbelieving Jews got converted. They got regenerated. They got born again. They got heaven bound. For God took their misery and turned it into a ministry and gave them the greatest resurrection of them all. Because you know what? Lazarus had to die again. He's standing alive, is he? He had to go through that again. Martha and Mary, they died too. You say, well, them unbelieving Jews did too. They may have did physically, but they still alive because they believe the everlasting gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Oh, you say, preacher, what are you saying? Sometimes when you go through the fire and you go through the floods and you go through the adversities and you trust God and God comes on the scene, people watching that, people observing that, they don't see the resentment. They don't see the bitterness. They don't see the revenge. They don't see the anger. They just see the goodness and the faithfulness of God in your life and the Holy Ghost to say, I do for you what I did for them. I'll do for you what I do for them. And they got saved that day. They got born again that day. They got resurrected from death unto life and that's the greatest resurrection of them all. When an old law sinner trusts Jesus Christ and they're born again and raised from a spiritual graveyard. Ephesians 2 takes us from the graveyard to glory. Ye who were dead in trespasses and in sin got quickened, born again, regenerated, made alive. You say, Brother Arthur, what could be a greater miracle than a dead man living? I'm glad you asked. What could be a greater miracle than two little discouraged Christians getting their trust back? I'm glad you asked. The greatest of all miracles. It's better than the water in the wine. It's better than the walking on the water. It's better than the stealing of the storm. It's better than the feeling of the 5,000. It's even better than raising Lazarus from the dead and open the eyes of the blind as when an old depraved lost sinner hears the gospel and trusts Christ and they're born again and they leave this world and they go to heaven when they die. That's the greatest of them all. And there's somebody watching you and there's somebody watching me and may we live and be faithful to God in the midst of our malady and watch God take our misery and turn it into a ministry. Most people know me as Joe Arthur, the revival preacher or the camp meeting preacher, whatever, but I'm a pastor. I've pastored the same church 38 and a half years. You say, how do they put up with you? Nobody else wants them. And nobody else will have me. So we're just stuck. And I've had all my friends through the years, some great men of God, Joe, won't you get rid of that church and go on evangelism, get rid of all that pressure. Well, one reason why, Holy Ghost ain't never told me to. And number two, you may not recognize it, but I have a pastor's heart. I can't believe that God would put somebody to pastor a church that hates people. I ain't figured that out yet. But I love people. And I love that little flock in Jonesboro. Several years ago, one of the ladies in our church, 31 years old, her husband was 32. He was a fireman. And Brother Timmy got choked at the fire station one day on a little sandwich and make a long story short, a year and two months later, we buried him with esophagus cancer. When they called and said, preacher, I think it's crossing time for Jim Hamrick. Me and one of my associates jumped in the car and went across the county and got there just in time. And I've done a lot of heart-wrenching things in 38 years, but this is probably one of the hardest. 
Right before Jim took his last breath, I picked up a five-year-old girl and laid her in the bed. And I picked up a little two-year-old girl and I laid her on his chest. And they stood there and sat there and laid there and rubbed his little cheeks. Y'all have heard that little five-year-old girl pray. She said, Jesus, this is Abby. My daddy's gonna come see you in a few minutes. You take good care of him now to me and mom and sis get on the other side. How about run my head through a wall? I held his hand when he breathed his last breath and we quoted Psalm 23, sung a few songs and I kissed him on his forehead and called my friends to come get him. On the way out to the car, I heard something behind me and it was his wife, Mandy. She was screaming, she squalling. She said, pray, man of God, pray. I said, Mandy, I have prayed. She said, no, no, you don't understand. Jim's okay. He just got healed permanently. And said, these babies are gonna be okay. I got a strong family support net. Pray for me. Pray for me. She said, pray for my faith. I said, Mandy, what do you mean? She said, I've been in church all my life, Pastor. And I've seen church people do some sorry things and say some stupid stuff when they get in a place like this. And she said, Jim and I have got lost loved ones on both sides of our family. And she said, I don't want to say and I don't want to do nothing that sends somebody to hell. She said, I don't want to fail the Lord. I don't want to get bitter. I don't want to get full of resentment. Pray for me that I, I won't fail the Lord. Oh, can I run the clock up to a couple of Sundays ago? She stood in our church and that little Abigail now is 20 years old. And the little other girl, she's a young teenage girl now. Oh, yes. And they stood and sung that Caliphate Roland song safe thus far he's brought me safe thus far and she got to singing that little verse dawn she lifted that hand she said I've sailed through many waters rough and deep but someone has sailed along with me and she's winning people to Christ they're cornerstones of our church they're future leaders and little girls are singers and serving God and living for Jesus and they're soul winners you know why because God took their misery and turned it into a ministry because he's the resurrection and the life and he's everything that he claimed to be and a whole lot more and Jesus never fails. And in closing tonight, it's just like this. I can't sing anymore. I couldn't sing before, but I sure can't now. I told people my singing career was over before it got started. I'd rap it, bless God, for having the rhythm. But as Stuart Hamblin said in 1956, it is no secret what God can do is what he's done for others, he'll do for you. The resurrection of life for the dead, the resurrection of hope and trust for the distressed, and the resurrection of faith and salvation for the depraved. And can I tell you tonight, whatever your need is, 
There's no boundaries, borders, or limits. And just when you think he's maxed out, you ain't seen nothing yet. You just need to fall at his feet and he'll meet your need tonight. Let's stand together. Lord, we love you.